chapter five of crusaders of new france by william bennett monroe this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter five the iron governor the ten years following sixteen hundred and sixty three form a decade of extraordinary progress in the history of new france the population of the colony had trebled and now numbered approximately seven thousand the red peril thanks to tracy's energetic work had been lessened while the fur trade had grown to large and lucrative proportions with this increase in population and prosperity there came a renaissance of enthusiasm for voyages of exploration and for the widening of the colony's frontiers glowing reports went home to the king concerning the latent possibilities of the new world what the colony now needed was a strong and vigorous governor who would not only keep a firm hold upon what had been already achieved but one who would also push on to greater and more glorious things it was in keeping with this spirit of faith and hope that the king sent to quebec in sixteen hundred and seventy two louis de buade count frontignac naming him governor of all the french domains in north america fifty-two years of age when he came to canada frontenac had been a soldier from his youth he had fought through hard campaigns in italy in the low countries and with the venetians in their defence of candia against the turks in fact he had but shortly returned from this last service when he was chosen to succeed courcelle as the royal representative in new france to frontenac's friends the appointment seemed more like a banishment than a promotion but there were several reasons why the governor should have accepted gladly he had inherited only a modest fortune and most of this had been spent for thrift was not one of frontenac's virtues his domestic life had not been happy and there were no strong personal ties binding him to life in france moreover the post of governor in the colony was not to be judged by what it had been in the days of davaujour or de mezy the report sent home by talon had stirred the national ambitions i am no courtier this intendant had written and it is not to please the king or without reason that i say this portion of the french monarchy is going to become something great what i now see enables me to make such a prediction and indeed the figures of growth in population of acreage cleared and of industries rising into existence seem to justify the intendant's optimism both the king and his ministers were building high hopes on canada as their choice of frontenac proves and in their selection of a man to carry out their plans they showed on the whole good judgment 
frontenac proved to be the ablest and most commanding of all the officials who served the bourbon monarchy in the new world in the long line of governors he approached most nearly to what a viceroy ought to be it is true that in new france there were conditions which no amount of experience in the old world could train a man to handle nor was frontenac particularly fitted by training or temperament for all of the duties which his new post involved in some things he was well endowed he had great physical endurance a strong will with no end of courage and industry to spare these were qualities of the highest value in a land encircled by enemies and forced to depend for existence upon the strength of its own people but more serviceable still was his ability in adapting himself to a new environment men past fifty do not often show this quality in marked degree but frontenac fitted himself to the novelty of colonial life exceedingly well in his relations with the indians he showed amazing skill no other colonial governor english french or dutch ever commanded so readily the respect and admiration of the red man but in his dealings with the intendant and the bishop with the clergy and with all those among the french of new france who showed any disposition to disagree with him frontenac displayed an uncontrollable temper an arrogance of spirit and a degree of personal vanity which would not have made for cordial relations in any field of human effort he had formed his own opinions and was quite ready to ride rough-shod over those of other men it was this impetuosity that served to make the official circles of the colony during many months of his term a little hell of discord but when the new viceroy arrived at quebec he was in high fettle he was pleased with the situation of the town and flattered by the enthusiastic greeting which he received from its people his first step was to familiarize himself with the existing machinery of colonial government which he found to be far from his liking he proceeded accordingly in his own imperious way to make some startling changes for one thing he decided to summon a representative assembly made up of the clergy the seigneurs and the common folk of new france this body he brought together for his inauguration in october sixteen hundred and seventy two no such assembly had ever been convened before and nothing like it was ever allowed to assemble again before another year had passed the minister sent frontenac a polite reprimand with the intimation that the king could not permit in the colony an institution he was doing his best and with entire success to crush out at home the same fate awaited the governor's other project the establishment of a municipal government in the town of quebec within a few months of his arrival frontenac had allowed the people of the town to elect a syndic and two aldermen but the minister vetoed this action with the admonition that 
you should very rarely or to speak more correctly never give a corporate voice to the inhabitants for it is well that each should speak for himself and no one for all in the reorganization of colonial administration therefore the governor found himself promptly called to a halt he therefore turned to another field where he was much more successful in having his own way from the day of his arrival at quebec the governor saw the pressing need of extending french influence and control into the regions bordering upon the great lakes to dissipate the colony's efforts in westward expansion however was exactly what he had been instructed not to do the king and his ministers were sure that it would be far wiser to devote all available energies and funds to developing the settled portions of the land they desired the governor to carry on the policy of encouraging agriculture which talon had begun thus solidifying the colony and making its borders less difficult to defend frontenac's instructions on this point could hardly have been more explicit his majesty considers it more consistent with the good of his services wrote colbert that you apply yourself to clearing and settling the most fertile places that are nearest the sea-coast and the communication with france than to think afar of explorations in the interior of the country so distant that they can never be inhabited by frenchmen this was discouraging counsel showing neither breadth of vision nor familiarity with the urgent needs of the colony frontenac courageously set these instructions aside and in doing so he was wise had he held to the letter of his instructions new france would never have been more than a strip of territory fringing the lower st lawrence more than any other frenchman he helped to plan the great empire of the west notwithstanding the narrow views of his superiors at versailles frontenac was convinced that the colony could best secure its own defence by controlling the chief line of water communications between the iroquois country and montreal to this end he prepared to build a fort at cataraki where the st lawrence debouches from lake ontario he was not however the first to recognize the strategic value of this point talon had marked it as a place of importance some years before and the english authorities at albany had been urged by the iroquois chiefs to forestall any attempt that the french might make by being first on the ground but the english procrastinated and in the summer of sixteen hundred and seventy three the governor with an imposing array of troops and militia made his way to cataraqui having first summoned the iroquois to meet him there in solemn council in rather high dudgeon they came ready to make trouble if the chance arose but frontenac's display of armed strength 
his free-handed bestowal of presents his tactful handling of the chiefs and his effective oratory at the conclave soon assured him the upper hand the fort was built and the iroquois while they continued to regard it as an invasion of their territories were forced to accept the new situation with reluctant grace this stroke at kataraki inflamed the governor's interest in western affairs during his conferences with the indians he had heard much about the great waters to the west and the rich beaver lands which lay beyond he was ready therefore to encourage in every way the plans of those who wished to undertake journeys of exploration and trade into these regions even although he was well aware that such enterprises would win little commendation from his superiors at the royal court vorageur ready to undertake these tasks there were in plenty and all of them found in the iron governor a stalwart friend foremost among these pioneers of the far country was robert cavalier de la salle whom frontenac had placed for a time in command of the fort at cataraqui and who in sixteen hundred and seventy eight was commissioned by the governor to forge another link in the chain by the erection of a fort at niagara there he also built a small vessel the first to ply the waters of the upper lakes and in this la salle and his lieutenants made their way to michilimackinac how he later journeyed to the mississippi and down that stream to its mouth is a story to be told later on in these pages it was and will remain a classic in the annals of exploration and without frontenac's vigorous support it could never have been accomplished la salle when he performed his great feat of daring and endurance was still a young man under forty but his courage firmness and determination were not surpassed by any of his race he had qualities that justified the confidence which the governor reposed in him but while la salle was the most conspicuous among the pathfinders of this era he was not the only one tonti du lutte la forêt la motte cadillac and others were all in frontenac's favour and all had his vigorous support in their work intrepid woodsmen they covered every portion of the western wilderness building forts and posts of trade winning the friendship of the indians planting the arms of france in new soil and carrying the vexilla regis into parts unknown before if frontenac could have had his way if the king had provided him with the funds he would have run an iron chain of fortified posts all along the great water routes from cataraqui to the mississippi and he had lieutenants who were able to carry out such an undertaking but there were great obstacles in the way the lukewarmness of the home government the bitter opposition of the jesuits and the intrigues of his colleagues yet the governor was able to make a brave start and before he had finished he had firmly laid the foundations of french trading supremacy in these western regions during the first three years after his coming to canada the governor had ruled alone 
there was no intendant or bishop to hamper him for both talon and laval had gone to france in sixteen hundred and seventy two but in sixteen hundred and seventy five laval returned to the colony and in the same year a new intendant jacques du chenot was appointed with this change in the situation at quebec the friction began in earnest for frontenac's imperious temper did not make him a cheerful sharer of authority with any one else if the intendant and the bishop had been men of conflicting ideas and dispositions frontenac might easily have held the balance of power but they were men of kindred aims and they readily combined against the governor united in their opposition to him they were together a fair match for frontenac in ability and astuteness it was not long accordingly before the whole colony was once more aligned in two factions with the governor were the merchants many of the seigneurs and all the coureurs de bois supporting the intendant and the bishop were many of the subordinate officials all of the priests and those of the tradesmen and habitants with whom the clerical influence was paramount the story of the quarrels which went on between these two factions during the years sixteen hundred and seventy five to sixteen hundred and eighty is neither brief nor edifying the root of it all lay in the governor's western policy his encouragement of the forest traders or coureurs de bois and his connivance at the use of brandy in the indian trade there were unseemly squabbles about precedence at council meetings and at religious festivals about trivialities of every sort but the question of the brandy trade was at the bottom of them all the bishop flayed the governor for letting this trade go on the missionaries declared that it was proving the ruin of their efforts and the intendant declared that frontenac allowed it to continue because he was making a personal profit from the traffic charges and counter-charges went home to france with every ship the intendant wrote dispatches of wearisome length rehearsing the governor's usurpations insults and incompetence disorder he told the minister rules everywhere universal confusion prevails justice is openly perverted and violence supported by authority determines everything in language quite as unrestrained frontenac recounted in detail the difficulties with which he had to contend owing to the intendant's obstinacy intrigue and dishonesty the minister appalled by the bewildering contradictions could only lay the whole matter before the king who determined to try first a courteous reprimand and to that end sent an autograph letter to each official both letters were alike in admonishing the governor and the intendant to work in harmony for the good of the colony but each concluded with the significant warning unless you harmonize better in the future than in the past my only alternative will be to recall you both this intimation coming straight from their royal master was to each a rebuke which could not be misunderstood but it did not accomplish much for the bitterness and jealousy existing between the two colonial officers was too strong to be overcome the very next vessels took to france a new budget of complaints and recriminations from both the king as good as his word issued prompt orders for their recall and the two officials left for home but not on the same vessel in the summer of sixteen hundred and eighty two 
the question as to which of the two was the more at fault is hardly worth determining the share of blame to be cast on each by the verdict of history should probably be about equal frontenac was by far the abler man but he had the defects of his qualities he could not brook the opposition of men less competent than he was and when he was provoked his arrogance became intolerable in broader domains of political action he would soon have outgeneraled his adversary but in these petty fields of neighbourhood bickering duchesneau particularly with the occasional nudgings which he received from laval proved no unequal match the fact remains that neither was able or willing to sacrifice personal animosities nor to display any spirit of cordial cooperation even at the royal command the departure of both was regarded as a blessing by the majority of the colonists to whom the continued squabbles had become wearisome yet there was not lacking in the minds of many among them the conviction that if ever again new france should find itself in urgent straits if ever there were critical need of an iron hand to rule within and to guard without there would still be one man whom so long as he lived they could confidently ask to be sent out to them again for the time being however frontenac's official career seemed to be at an end at sixty-two he could hardly hope to regain the royal favour by further service he must have left the shores of new france with a heavy heart frontenac's successor was le barre an old naval officer who had proved himself as capable at sea as he was now to show himself incompetent on land he was the antithesis of his headstrong predecessor weak in decision without personal energy without imagination but likewise without any of frontenac's skill in the art of making enemies with la barre came mule an abler and more energetic colleague who was to succeed duchesneau as intendant both reached quebec in the autumn of sixteen hundred and eighty two and problems in plenty they found awaiting them shortly before their arrival a fire had swept through the settlement at quebec leaving scarcely a building on the lands below the cliff to make matters worse the iroquois had again thrown themselves across the western trade route and had interrupted the coming of the colony's fur supply as every one now recognized that the protection of this route was essential la barre decided that the iroquois must be taught a lesson preparations in rather ostentatious fashion were therefore made for a punitive expedition and in the summer of sixteen hundred and eighty four the governor with his troops was at kataraki at this point however he began to question whether a parley might not be a better means of securing peace than the laying waste of indian lands accordingly it was arranged that a council with the iroquois should be held across the lake from cataraki at a place which later took the name of la famine from the fact that during the council the french supplies ran low and the troops had to be put on short rations after negotiations which the cynical chronicler la Hontan has described with picturesque realism an inglorious truce was patched up the new governor was sadly deficient in his knowledge of the indian temperament he had given the iroquois an impression that the french were too proud to fight for their part the iroquois offered him war or peace as he might choose and la barre assured them that he chose to live at peace when the expedition returned to quebec there was great disgust throughout the colony the echoes of which were not without their effect at versailles and la barre was forthwith recalled in his place the king sent out the marquis de denonville 
in sixteen hundred and eighty five with power to make war on the tribesmen or to respect the peace as he might find expedient upon his arrival the new governor was an honest well-intentioned soul neither mentally incapable nor lacking in personal courage he might have served his king most acceptably in many posts of routine officialdom but he was not the man to handle the destinies of half a continent in critical years his mission to be sure was no sinecure for the iroquois had grown bolder with the assurance of support from the english now that they were securing arms and ammunition from albany it was probable that they would carry their raids right to the heart of new france de nonville was therefore forced to the conclusion that he had better strike quickly in making this decision he was right for in dealing with savage races a thrust is almost always the best defence armed preparations were consequently once more placed under way and in the summer of sixteen hundred and eighty seven a flotilla of canoes and bateaux bearing soldiers and supplies was again at cataraqui this time the expedition was stronger in numbers and better equipped than ever before down the lakes from michilimackinac came a force of coureurs de bois among them seasoned veterans of the wilderness like Lut, tonti la forêt morale de la and nicolas perrot each worth a whole squad of soldiers when it came to fighting the iroquois in their own forests at the rendezvous across the lake from cataraqui the french and their allies mustered nearly three thousand men denonville had none of his predecessor's bravado coupled with cowardice his plans were carried forward with a precision worthy of frontenac unlike frontenac however he had a scant appreciation of the skill with which the red man could get out of the way in the face of danger by moving too slowly after he had set out overland towards the seneca villages he gave the enemy time to place themselves out of his reach so he burned their villages and destroyed large areas of growing corn after more than a week had been spent in laying waste the land denonville and his expedition retired slowly to cataraqui leaving part of his force there the governor went westward to niagara where he rebuilt in more substantial fashion la salle's old fort at that point and placed it in charge of a garrison the coureurs de bois then continued on their way to michilimackinac while denonville returned to montreal the expedition of sixteen hundred and eighty seven had not been a fiasco like that of sixteen hundred and eighty five but neither was it in any real way a success it angered the whole iroquois confederacy without having sufficiently impressed the indians with the punitive power of the french denonville had stirred up the nest without destroying the hornets it was all too soon the indians turned to show what they could do as ravagers of unprotected villages within a year after the french expedition had returned the iroquois bands were raiding the territory of the french to the very outskirts of montreal itself the route to the west was barred the fort at niagara had to be abandoned cataraqui was cut off from succor and ultimately had to be destroyed by its garrison not a single canoe load of furs came down from the lakes during the entire summer the merchants were facing ruin and the whole colony was beginning to tremble for its very existence the seven years since frontenac left the land had indeed been a lurid interval
it was at this juncture that tidings of the colony's dire distress were hurried to the king and the grand monarch moved with rare good sense he promptly sent for that grim old veteran whom he had recalled in anger seven years before in all the realm frontenac was the one man who could be depended upon to restore the prestige of france along the great trade routes the great onontio as frontenac was known to the indians reached the st lawrence in the late autumn of sixteen hundred and eighty nine just as the colony was about to pass through its darkest hours quebec greeted him as a redemptor patriae its people in the words of la hontan were as jews welcoming the messiah nor was their enthusiasm without good cause for in a few years frontenac demonstrated his ability to put the colony on its feet once more he settled its internal broils opened the channels of trade restored the forts repulsed the english and brought the iroquois to terms now that his mission had been achieved and he was no longer as robust as of old the iron governor asked the minister to keep him in mind for some suitable sinecure in france if the opportunity came this the minister readily promised but the promise was still unfulfilled when frontenac was stricken with his last illness on november twenty eighth sixteen hundred and ninety eight the greatest of the onontiers or governors passed away devoted to the service of his king says his eulogist more busied with duty than with gain inviolable in his fidelity to his friends he was as vigorous a supporter as he was an untiring foe had his official career closed with his recall in sixteen hundred and eighty two frontenac would have ranked as one of the singular misfits of the old french colonial system but the brilliant successes of his second term made men forget the earlier days of petulance and petty bickerings in the sharp contrasts of his nature frontenac was an unusual man combining many good and great qualities with personal shortcomings that were equally pronounced in the civil history of new france he challenges attention as the most remarkable figure End of chapter five